welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. I know you'll really enjoy this interview with Utah-based Damon Burton, a search engine optimization expert and founder of SEO National Agency. Damon's expertise is more important than ever in helping businesses thrive online. Over a decade ago, he beat a billion-dollar company by outranking them on Google. He knew he was onto something and has gone on since then to build an international search engine marketing company that's worked with NBA teams, Inc. 5000 companies, which are the fastest growing businesses in the USA, and also several Shark Tank feature businesses. Since founding SEO National in 2007, Damon has also written for Forbes, been featured in publications including Entrepreneur Magazine, BuzzFeed and USA Weekly. And he's helped several high-profile clients make more in a month than they used to in a year. We talk about the challenges and excitements of scaling up, about managing customer and team relationships, both virtually and in person. And Damon gives some top tips for small business owners, startups, and solopreneurs on limited budgets, and offers our viewers and listeners a free copy of his book, Outrank, your guide to making more online by showing up higher on search engines and outranking your competition. Hello, everybody, and welcome most of all to our wonderful guest today, Damon Burton. Welcome, Damon, and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to chat, Jane. So Damon is a world-class expert in SEO. So we're really going to be diving deep on that topic today, why SEO should matter to entrepreneurs and why a lot of entrepreneurs ignore it and why they shouldn't be ignoring it. So we're going to talk about that. But first of all, I'd just like you to introduce yourself, Damon, and tell our viewers and listeners a little bit more about your history and how you came to be doing what you do today. Yeah, so I started a company 14 years ago called SEO National, and as Jane talked about, you know, stands for search engine optimization. The goal is to show up higher on search engines, but without paying for ads. Now, the reason why that matters to you is because you like money, or you have a charity, or you have a cause or a message or something that you want to amplify and get to your target audience. So that's kind of the business side of me. I've also been married 14 years. I have three kids, and I wrote a book. I write for Forbes worked for NBA teams. So, you know, that's kind of the highlight reel. But at the end of the day, I'm a pretty average person. And I just like to foster relationships like this. And I appreciate the opportunity to chat. And outside of work hours, I'm just a family man. <laughs> and that's no mean feat either. Being being a family man <laughs> and being a good family guy, that's the task, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and how old are your kids, Damon? I have two boys, six and 10, and a daughter that's three. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Great age. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Okay, so let's get into it, Damon. So what was your early career? I mean, have you always been an SEO marketer or did you do something else beforehand? So my career is before starting my company. So now I have 30 employees. So I'm an agency owner. But before being an agency owner, I kind of transitioned from web design was my career immediately before starting the company. And but the way I got into it goes back even further than that. Because before that, I was 
you know, 1920 and I just had whatever jobs you have at 19 and 20. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but what had happened around that time is I, I was a big car enthusiast. And so my first website I ever made started as a college project. And the college project was, okay, you have to, we were learning HTML and it was go build a website with these minimum requirements. And I got thinking about how much time I was going to put into this project, knowing that it would just be deleted from the school servers at the end of the semester. And I, I went to my professor and I said, can I build this and keep this? Can I buy a domain and do my own thing? And he said, yeah, as long as we can still view it and grade it, do whatever. And so I started a website called EliteRides.com. There, there's an, I still own the domain, but there's nothing there anymore. And what it was, was just like a car enthusiast community. And after a couple months, I started to notice it was getting respectable traffic. And then I got thinking, well, how do I make this better? And then as the traffic continued to increase, I got more into web design. And then I started thinking, well, how do I monetize this? And so then that's how I got into marketing. And then after that, I did design on the side for however many years, took a couple legitimate jobs. And then at one point where the breaking point was, was when my side hustle was making about 50% of my income, but my day job was taking up 80% of my time. And so <laughs> I figured that was about as, as calculated risk as I could take is it would suck to lose that 50% of the income, but I could still pay my bills. And so mm -hmm. at that point I said, let's go all in, do the entrepreneur thing. And that's when I started the company. And then kind of the fast evolution from there is I was a solopreneur for a couple of years. And then I realized, you know, the first couple of years, it was just cool to be self-employed when you're in your early twenties. And so that was good <laughs> enough. And, and then I realized the opportunity that I had and, and started to add more team members and then scale. And, and then just last month, so at the time we're recording this, it's April, 2021. And just last month in March, I hired 10 employees just in one month. So we went wow. from 20 to 30 just in the last 30 days. And um, really just trying to see how, for the entrepreneurs that are listening, you kind of go through evolutionary phases of your career. So like I said, yeah. at one point, it was just cool to be self-employed. And then you get to a point where you say, okay, what's next? And then you do yes. that next for a couple of years. For me, it was just a handful of employees. And then it went into scaling mode. And then now it's like, okay, let's see how big this can go. But you kind of have to go through those phases because if I skip two and three, then it would have all fell apart. Yeah. And it's a very, very different place, isn't it? When you've got 30 employees. And I know because I used to run a brand identity agency in London mm -hmm. and we went from 12 to 40 employees yeah. in, over the course of about 18 months. When I look back, it was a very different business when we had 40 employees. It was really different. And I needed a lot more structure, a lot more sort of discipline in place. When we just had 12, it was more like one big happy family. Yeah. But uh, you need those systems, don't you? Yeah. Well, it, you have a valid point because what's interesting for me in this transition is I've always been very process driven. And so I've already had all the standard operating procedures, all the processes documented, things like that. But it is different. You start to stretch differently. And the part that's interesting for me is how do I maintain the personal relationships with everybody? Because the, as you said, the family is, is something I've always been very proud of. And I've always, mm -hmm. you know, when I do these types of discussions prior to 30 days ago, when we added 10 more people, it was a yeah. lot easier to talk about how you grow the team while maintaining personal relationships. And like, for example, my team has always been remote. So when COVID happened, we didn't have to change anything. Uh -huh. and, but the reason why I, I emphasize that is because I would put my team's loyalty up against anybody. So the fact that they're entirely remote 
is something that I was proud that I was able to build those relationships. And now it's a lot harder to protect that. Like I still want to do that, but you do need more structure. And, and that's not to say we didn't have a lot to begin with, but how do you balance structure with also flexibility and maintaining personal relationships? So it is an interesting thing I'm going through right now. Yeah. So have you got any answers to that, Damon? What's your plan? So I'm hiring more formal titles before it was, Mm -hmm. I still ask, what I historically have asked and what I still ask is, A, what are you good at? B, what do you like to do? Because those can Mm -hmm. be two dramatically different answers. And so what I have to figure out is, is, okay, what does everybody like to do? Because in the long term, it's going to have better employee retention, better environment. If they're doing the things that they like to do, which may be different what they're the best at. And then let them become the best at that thing they like to do over time. So I have to figure out kind of roles that I can position in between. So now instead of having a variety of content producers, now I need to hire like a a content quality control manager. And so their role is not to necessarily micromanage the team, but just to spot check because we're getting at scale now. And I don't personally have the time to do those things anymore. So it's like, okay, no. how, how do we have... So I'm, I'm filling roles of quality control management, but not micromanagement. So I have to find that mm-hmm. balance. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And when I ran my agency in London, we didn't have a remote team. Everybody just came to work every day. and We all worked in Soho and it was a really mm. cool place. Yeah. But, but actually, that, something similar happened in our business in that I just decided we need to kind of put in some heads of department in a way that mm. they were just responsible for the output of that particular section of the business. And I think that's really what happens because you can't do it all, can you, as a founder? Yeah. And I've always known that, but my way that it, to try and buffer that in the past was having the good documentation and the good standard operating procedures. Because then I, I knew if I took the time to hire the right people that would read thoroughly and follow directions, then the documentation would take care of the rest. But yes. now at scale, you, you have to fill those little gaps that, that happen in between the nuances of different learning curves and the different skill mm-hmm. sets. And so you do have to have somebody kind of fill those gaps. Yeah. So what about this thing that you were talking about, the relationship? How are you planning to manage the relationships and keep everybody motivated and on side and loyal and all of those things that have been really important to you before and important to them as well? I think the best answer I've found so far, because this is still this is still new. Like I said, I'm only 30 days into this, but you're right. There's a, there's a big difference between, in your case, 12 to 40, in my case, 20 to 30. And so, what I find my the path I find myself heading down is that before when I would do, we usually communicate via Skype. So half my team's in the states, the other half is overseas, and so Skype would give us the flexibility to just talk as we needed, but before I could talk to the group as a collective. But now it's, we can still do that, but now it's not as productive because the copywriters don't necessarily need to know what the data analysts are doing. And the designers Mm. don't necessarily need to know what the copywriters are doing. And so it's a little bit noisy if we continue to do that. So what I'm having to do is chunk it out, do the same thing, but in different collective groups. And so like next week we have, uh, you know, part of that big hiring was a reasonable amount of new copywriters. And so historically, the copywriters, I would just, same thing, I'd hire those that had, obviously, you qualify the skill set. But beyond that, it's like, okay, who can fit in the culture? 
and who can scale with us and understand the greater good that we're trying to accomplish. But because of that, they were always free to do what they what they needed to do. They would know the client. They would know the types of content we needed to create. And beyond that, I just stay out of their way. Like I don't hire people because I want to micromanage them. And so with so many new writers, now I have, they were kind of the one group that I didn't talk to on a daily basis. Like the designers would usually hit me up with questions. Developers would usually hit me up with questions because they're in there doing that every day. But the writers, they might research for a day or two and then they might Mm -hmm. draft for a day or two. So there wasn't a necessity to talk on a daily basis, but now that we have so many, now they are a team in themselves that I have to keep that bond among this new group. And so we're having this, this new meeting now. This will be the first time we brought all the writers together. And what's interesting is out of all the team, I have never met until last year, which is like a story in of itself because I was overseas when the COVID lockdown started happening. And I got oh. out with with 24 hours before I was stuck in the Philippines for at least 30 days. So (laughs) before that one week, at the time I had, I want to say 14 employees, I had never met any of them except for those six that were in the Philippines. And since then, I've still never met any more. So we've grown this big agency. We work with these big teams, these big groups, these big companies. And until last year, I had never met any of them. And I still have not met the majority of the team. So, but I've been asked to be a godfather twice Aww. from team members. I was invited to a wedding. My wife was pregnant with our daughter at the time and she was in her third trimester. So I didn't really feel comfortable leaving her halfway across the world. And so I told my team, I said, you know, thank you for the invite. My wife's due within the next couple of weeks. I don't want to leave her. And so I tell you the story because this further underscores the relationships that I've been able to build with the team, even though I'd never met them in person. So what those guys did after inviting me to the wedding, because I couldn't make it, they had a life-size cardboard cutout of me. And we call him, card- oh. we call him Cardboard Damon now, and he still lives on, and he helps <laughs> helps garden around the homes. <laughs> oh, so I have these pictures of a uh, life-size cardboard cutout of me in an actual wedding. And so you think about you know the, the funniness of that aside, you think about the sentiment behind that for somebody willing to go through and offer that and do that for their once in a lifetime wedding. So yeah, it's something I take pretty serious. That's so nice. That's so nice. And I think that said, I think the more you grow a business and the more that you create that team, the more it does come to actually managing and evolving relationships, doesn't it? Whether it's with your customers or with your team, it, it becomes really a lot about the people, doesn't it? For sure. And I think that's why we are where we're at because you know, out of even though I've over the years I've been able to delegate ninety percent of my workload to the team, that last ten percent or so is largely just growing and fostering relationships. Not only because it works, but for me, it's what I like to do. Like I like, yeah. I like. Just last week, I went out of my way to fly and meet some online contacts in person. So we had there was a gentleman that I was introduced to that I've been kind of helping for the last year, and so I'm in Utah. He's in the East Coast of the States. And he said, I'm flying to Arizona. How far away is that? And I said, close enough. And for me, that's an hour, hour and a half flight. And so Mm -hmm. I went out of my way to book a flight to go meet somebody in person to foster the relationship. What was interesting about that, that's not the first time I've done that. But what was interesting about last weekend was there was a woman that I had been talking to who's a digital marketer. And we've started to follow each other also for about the last year. And she's been in three or four countries in four months. She's kind of doing the country island hopping thing. 
And she oh, yeah. said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to the States here in a couple of weeks. I don't know where, I don't know where I'm going to land yet, but I'm just kind of putting the feelers out there in case you'll be available. Well, I had already booked this flight to Arizona four days before I flew out. She messages me and she says, Hey, I'm coming back. I'm going to Arizona. And I'm like, shut up. The one weekend <laughs> on the, you know, the one moment that I'm going to be there coincidentally doing the same thing for somebody else, meeting somebody. So I had the opportunity to hang out and have a great evening. Me and my wife flew down, met this, this, the first gentleman in person, stayed up late, enjoyed, had hours of conversation. And then the next morning we woke up and, and went and grabbed breakfast with this, with this other woman. And so those are the types of things that I try to value is, is you're totally right. Whether it's with customers, yeah. team members, you know, our client retention rate is through the roof compared to most businesses in general, but especially in digital marketing. We still have our first half a dozen clients from 14 years ago. I've never had an employee quit. You know, I've fired some, but I've never had an employee quit. And so all of those go, the common denominator among those accomplishments is usually relationships. Yeah, so important. That's really a very, very inspiring story. And also, I have to say that when you were telling me about flying down to Arizona, I was beginning to feel quite jealous because over here, very few people have got on a plane over the last yeah. year. We're still kind of in lockdown and, and we're not allowed to go and visit other countries. I mean, it's beginning to open up a little mm -hmm. bit, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting back to actually flying places and yeah. meeting people. <laughs> it's funny the things you miss. On, I was on another trip a, a month or two ago and we just kind of got out, went to the beach and and you were starting to see some people come back. And it's funny how before it was, I wish there wasn't so many people here at the beach, but then, but then now it's like, this is exciting to see other people in the community again. <laughs> so you get the, yeah, the opposite I, perspective. Yeah. And I think you, sometimes we don't know what we're going to miss until it's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those crowds and that buzzy feeling of having people around, it's something that we've lost, isn't it? Over the last year or so. It, yeah, that, that woman I met, she had an interesting observation along the lines of what you were saying. So she's been in, I don't even remember, you know, Costa Rica and a couple of Caribbean areas. And she said the first thing that she realized when she came back to the States was how sad everybody was. And, really? and so in the islands, because of the geography of it, they could walk it down a little bit more easier logistically. So yeah. they've been able to recover and, and start to to resume things, not entirely the way they used to be, but, but a, a few steps ahead of the rest of the world. And she said the, f the first thing that she noticed when she flew back into the States, and I don't know where she landed on her transfer flight, but she said that she could just physically feel and see the sadness behind everybody's mass here. And so it's yeah. interesting how all the different places across the world are and that, how it's impacting people personally. And then business, it's either you, you got totally hammered or you're on the moon. It's just a weird yeah. dynamic to see the impact and the position of everybody. Yeah, you're so right, because so many local businesses, and I think particularly here in the UK, particularly in the high street, the small independent traders, they've been so hard hit. Most of them are shut. And yet there are online businesses, as you said, that have just been booming because mm -hmm. everybody's online, right? So mm -hmm. nobody wants to brag about how well they're doing because we all know that other people are suffering. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's no getting away from it. It just shows how we have transitioned to an online world. And if you're not able to really make your business work within the online environment, then it does introduce some risk, doesn't it? Yeah. 
it's an interesting position to be in because like you said, it's not something that under normal circumstances, it would be exciting to share those wins and do some humble brags, Mm -hmm. but it's a little awkward to, because you know how bad others have been impacted. So you you try and find the middle ground where you can inspire others and still share the wins more of in an inspirational way and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. there's hope. Hey, there's opportunity. For me, what I've found has been helpful is to help some of those businesses transition online or like I'll go do these free webinars and I'll just figure out like, how can I get people to a a different place? Like one, a quick example is my kids are, they were in a karate studio when this all happened. And so I had chatted with the owners and I said, can I get you on zoom? And it sounds silly to say now because everybody knows zoom, but at the time only, you know, remote workers and online types of entities would largely be familiar with Zoom on a daily basis. And so for me, it was very easy to say, hey, come over to Zoom. Let's set up your online classes. Let's do this. Let's finish out your website, build an online scheduler, all that stuff. And so for them, it was like, what do you mean do karate on video? And, <laughs> and, and so it's been kind of fun to go go through and be able to help people make transitions because to them, it's so different. It's a different world. And, and so I, I find a little bit of appreciation in being able to translate how to make that transition. Oh, that's really nice. And in fact, there's a guy over here that you may not have heard of, but his name is Joe Wicks. Have you ever heard of him? You may not. He's an English my head guy. Now. Yeah, he's a very, a very handsome and very fit English guy. So it hasn't been hard for him to build a following <laughs> for the last year, let's just say. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, he, he does all this online fitness stuff and his brand has completely taken off and mm. he's got so many followers and really all he does is his online fitness stuff but people yeah. love it they love him as well yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so anyway i mean let's get into this issue of seo and, and digital marketing and so on damon because you know you are a real expert in this field so my audience is a lot of small business owners and solopreneurs sole traders and so on and of course, a lot of the time they're just working by themselves on limited budgets and they're trying to hoover up as much information as possible, but they're also getting a lot of stuff wrong yeah. because it's an expert business in itself. And this is something that I always say to them, I say, look, you're an expert in what you do. Marketing is an expert business and it needs to be learned and you need help, you know, and support really. And I think a lot of people, if they have relatively limited resources, they struggle with this issue of getting online and and getting it to work for them. Mm -hmm. So before we actually get into it, I'd love to hear if you have any tips or advice for people who are just maybe starting up or working by themselves, but want to get good at digital marketing. Yeah, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I, I try to give the less technical options first because it can be a little bit overwhelming when you get into the technical stuff. So maybe I'll give you one less technical option and then another more technical option and then kind of an option somewhere in between, I suppose. And so, the, so the kind of, the, I don't want to say easier, but the one that the one option that you can really kind of embrace if you're doing the solopreneur thing and want to do some of the SEO on your own is you actually stole some of my words as you're an expert, right? So so if you're listening, you're an expert at something. You started a business because you're either passionate about something or you're really good at something. So share that expertise. And so what I mean by that is one of the easier avenues to start is simply by pushing out content, starting a blog, 
So the blog is effective with search engine optimization because you can only show up on search engines for what the search engines can read. So you have mm-hmm. to put it out there. Now, why blogging is important is be- beyond that is because it gives you an opportunity to share your voice and your expertise and stand out and be unique. So don't go out there and go, well, everybody else is talking about this thing in my industry. So I'm going to talk about that thing. Instead, talk about your unique perspectives. Talk about why you're different. Talk about why you do that thing differently. Because if you're going to go after the same thing that there's 10,000 other articles about, well, you're fighting against 10,000 other pieces of content that are already established and already showing up. But if you can come in and write a unique piece of content, then you have less Mm -hmm. competition. And more importantly, it's going to resonate better with the right people because you put some more passion behind it. So Mm -hmm. you can simply start with blogging. Now, one of the technical options that you can start with is, is there's a handful of free websites that you can use that will help you understand the structure of your website. Now, why structure matters is because Google wants you to make them look good. So if you were to show up on Google or whatever search engine and they send a visitor to that site and you have a dead page or your page loads slowly, then that makes Google look bad because they're the ones that said Jane's site is the right answer, but now it's there's an issue with the user experience. So you want to take into consideration, treat Google and search engines like an everyday customer. What do you mm-hmm. what do everyday consumers like and not like? None of us like a slow website. Therefore, Google is mm-hmm. going to ding you if your website is slow. So you can use some free tools. One that I like is called GT Metrics. It's just the letters GT and then M-E-T-R-I-X.com. That will tell you why your website is slow or fast and how to fix it. So you can start with some really simple tasks like that. Don't overthink the design. Focus on the user experience and the content. I've consistently seen over the years, the most simplistic designs outperform the most dramatically, aesthetically designed websites out there. So don't feel like you need to have the best website. One of the times when I was still in kind of solopreneur mode, where I got the most leads is when I just wiped out everything on my website. And literally the only two things that were on there was a logo and a statement that said, exclusive marketing agency, call the number if interested. That was it. There was no buttons, no contact form other than the one line of text, no information about us. And so usually you can find all sorts of case studies and data that say, the more simplistic your website is, the better it performs. The more you add things, the worse it performs. So don't feel um, like you need the most amazing website. You need a good message. So just focus on quick page load and a good message that holds your audience's hand and says, here's the next action to take. Oh, that's great advice. And isn't that amazing that you just had that very simple call to action? Mm-hmm. I can't believe that, actually, that it seems so obvious, but who would do it? Well, I mean, obviously you did, but normally people would never think that something like that would work. So that's a great tip. Yeah. Thank you. So would you say that blogging, you should blog on your website or do you think it it would be better, for example, to upload your post to Medium, for example, or what's your kind of preferred way of doing blogging? Yeah, it's going to depend on the piece of content because with the example of your blog versus Medium, Sometimes it makes more sense to go to where the market already is. So in this Mm -hmm. case, if you have a strong message that you know can have some quick calls to action or lead generation, then go to where the market is. But the disadvantage to that is you are building up that asset and not yours. And Uh, so over time, 
you, you know, you posting on Medium is not going to help your website.com. Yeah. So it depends on what the long-term goals are. Do you just want some immediate attention for whatever the specific topic is? Then go push mm-hmm. it somewhere where the audience already is. But if it's something yeah. that is going to be more evergreen and you are okay with delayed gratification, then put it on your website because that's going to continue to increase credibility over time as you add more and more content to your website. Yeah, that's a really important point because, as you said, that's the whole thing about evergreen content, isn't it? Your YouTube channel, your uh, blogs or your podcast or whatever, that it gives people a place where they can go that is your domain as opposed Mm -hmm. to social media, which really belongs to somebody else, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and, and so there's that argument on the organic side with content and also the argument of SEO versus paid ads. So I'm I'm not the type of marketer that that throws rocks at other you know non SEO mediums. Um, I think they all have their advantages and disadvantages. But one of those, depending on the the discussion, one of the arguments is you don't own Facebook, you don't own Google Ads. So whether you're pushing content there or paying money for ad space, you don't own that platform. So are you going to continue mm-hmm. to feed that platform, or are you yeah. going to build up an asset that you own? And then over time, you know, you'll always have control over it, but then you'll increase your leads over time. It's, it's been an interesting observation seeing the evolution of people's takes on different types of marketing. So when I first got into SEO, it was kind of the newer, sexier thing at the time. And so there was a mm-hmm. lot of buzz about it. And then as other things came along, like Facebook, click funnels, like those things were shinier and sexier. And so SEO never went away. But the attention of the masses started to go to those shiny things. And now I'm starting to see the pendulum swing back the other way because people are starting to say, well, I'm tired of ad fatigue or I'm tired of fighting for a budget all the time. I'm fighting. I'm tired of fighting against the big pockets. I'm tired of fighting against my ad account getting turned off and on and things, yeah. you know, policies and campaigns and this and that. So it's been interesting to kind of see people come back the other way and go, you know, maybe SEO, even though it takes a little bit more time, maybe it is more consistent. Maybe it is more stable. Maybe it is more scalable. So it's kind of been interesting to watch that evolution. Yeah, that's really interesting point that you make. And uh, in your world, do you actually engage with things like Facebook ads or you just SEO? Just SEO is what you do just all the way. Just SEO, yeah. I mean, we, just do, SEO. we do a lot mm-hmm. of site design because it comes with the territory. But even then... yeah. Even then, I don't advertise it. So it's mostly, I, I learned very early on, even before I really started to have a team, is, is I didn't want to be an agency that says they do it all and is mediocre at all of it. So I've been, I've been very intentional about staying in my lane of SEO. Yeah. And really, to have deep expertise in that is what people want and what they want to pay for, as opposed to just, well, you can have this or you can have that or you can have the other. Or yeah. Because if you're, you can't be a, a master of a jack of all trades, can you? You need to be a master of one. Yeah. It's, and it's been interesting. People find that refreshing. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you any time I've... Maybe I've lost one deal, two deals. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you specific examples, but I can think of specific examples where uh, a lead or a client says, can you also do this? And I said, no. And they replied positively and said things like, that's refreshing, or I appreciate your honesty. And so yeah. people want that expertise. Yeah, they do. And I think particularly in the agency world, and I remember this, as I said, from my days, that particularly when we were bought, because we were actually bought by a US communications mm. group called Interpublic. 
So at that point, we were supposed to collaborate with all the other agencies mm-hmm. that they bought. But of course, we were all on earnout. So we were all, you know, trying to boost our own bottom line. And it mm. just got a bit ridiculous because we were supposed to be sending referrals to one another. But in fact, we were all kind of like, well, maybe we could do this piece of work mm. or maybe we can have that bit of work to ourselves. And it was just all a bit, a bit kind <laughs> became of... became a circus. <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, and I, so we were very, very specialist agencies. So we were just TV brand identity. That was all we did. Mm-hmm. We didn't do anything else. We just worked for broad, in broadcasting. And we, as I said, we went from that to, well, maybe we can do this and maybe we can do that. And of course, none yeah. of it worked because we didn't know what we were doing. And the clients saw through it straight away. And we... It's far better to be an expert, I think, in just one field and just get really good at doing it. But either in the short term, like you said, they see through it or in the long term, if they don't see through it, then the results end up surfacing later. And then that eventually catches up to your reputation. It does. Yeah. And reputation, of course, is very important, Mm -hmm. particularly today with online transparency. You only need one or two unhappy clients and (laughs) things can come tumbling down, can't they? Yeah. Yeah. So do you find that there are some types of businesses that work better for SEO campaigns? Or would you say SEO works for any type of business and any type of sector? I could answer that for me and my agency's opinion. And then I could answer that for SEO as a whole. So as a whole, any business has the potential to do SEO. Now, where it's going to depend on the agency or the client is based on what is your product or service and what are your profit margins. So a lot of times we say no to retail, not all retail, but if it's like a smaller unit cost item, because if you have a product that's $5 and then you have an assumed you know, cost of goods and landing and all that, like if, you, if you're lucky, you might make a dollar or two profit on that $5 thing. You're going to have to mm-hmm. sell a ton of those things to not only profit, but break even on an SEO campaign that costs you thousands of dollars or any form of marketing campaign that costs you thousands of dollars per month. So it really depends on what type of cash flow you have and then also how much patience you have because SEO, the logistics behind it, takes time to get going. So anybody can do it. It's just, okay, does it make more sense? Do I have more time or do I have more money to do it? But for us, we tend to we haven't focused on service-based businesses or B2B. It's just kind of coincidentally, we've evolved that way where that's the majority of our clients. And that's not to say we don't do a lot of retail, but where I find myself saying no to retail is like we talked about their profit margins, because I don't want to just cash a check. I don't want to just say yes to a client when I know that I can't drive a return for them. And so Mm -hmm. if it's a retail client, a couple things has to happen. One is they have to own the product. They can't be a drop shipper. They can't be a reseller because the problem you run into there is you don't have the creative freedom to say the things you want to say to support an SEO campaign because there's politics and red tape behind it. Now, yeah. the other thing is the profit margins and you know how competitive is the industry. So with that being said, retail usually has to have a higher price point, a higher profit margin. So you don't have to sell as many units to ideally make a profit on your campaign. Yeah. So within that service-based B2B sector, what kind of clients have you got then, Damon? Any particular trends, would you say, that are emerging in terms of the people that come to you? We've had a lot of tech companies lately. And so a lot of startups, a lot of funded startups. So it's really been interesting. And it's not that we promote ourselves as a tech-based SEO company. I think it's just that there's been more demand or, or maybe a better word is more opportunity for those types of businesses. 
So those yes. types of businesses are be, becoming more prominent. And then just by the nature of numbers game, more of them are seeking to, to show up higher on search engines. So yeah, it's definitely been more tech-based. But as far as... I've kind of intentionally not... I kind of did things backwards a little bit because there is definitely value in niching down. And we've all heard that. We all know that. But yeah. the reason... It's not that I didn't try to niche down. It's that the problem that I had over the years, which ended up being good for me in the long run, but initially the problem was I had a hard time niching down because we got so good at documenting processes that we could apply those to any business. And so I had two things. That was one thing. And then the other thing is when I would see the other agencies that were the quote unquote dentist SEO companies or the lawyer SEO companies, I would see how poorly they performed because they would rehash the same content for all their clients. And so then you run into the, the issue that we talked earlier about if you don't have unique content, you can't rank uniquely. So yeah. I had a little bit of a hesitation to pursuing niching down, even though I knew the value in it. But in the yeah. in the long run, it ended up working out okay for us because now that we've grown, now to some extent, it would be counterproductive to say we only do these certain things because we attract these bigger businesses now. And so if those yes. they come to us and then they say, oh, you you focus on that, but we're not that. So I, I would say maybe if you're a smaller entrepreneur, I would niche down if you can clearly identify your product and your service, but have the flexibility to scale with that over time if you, yeah. if you want to. And that's an important emphasis is if you want to. I, I don't think you need to reach for the moon at any given time, if ever. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's an important point, isn't it? Because a lot of entrepreneurs feel as though they should be getting bigger and bigger all the time and they should be growing their revenues and bottom line and just, as you said, exploding their business. And there comes a point where we all have to say, well, what kind of a life do we want? Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, is your plan personally to explode your business still further or do you want to, do you say, okay, I think we're about the right size now. It feels good. What's your plan personally, Damon? That's continually been evolving. I I think I have more of a definitive answer, as as definitive as I can assume I will have (laughs) because things are always changing. Yeah, 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 like now I want to go as big as I can and then maybe I'll exit at some point because mm-hmm. I, I've gone through those phases. But that's important to understand is that I intentionally went through those phases. I did not want to move from phase two to three at certain points. So when I was a solopreneur, it was just exciting to be self-employed and work at home and then not have, you know, to report to a boss And so there's like those things that are new and exciting. And at the time when I started the agency, I was in my early 20s. And so all I had was my wife and I were newly married. We had no kids. And my only bills were a car payment and a house payment. That's living the dream, right? So so that was just fine for me for a while. But then after a while, as things slowly grew based on referrals, then I had the, the sexiness of being a solopreneur wasn't as it's not that it wasn't as glamorous, it just wasn't as new anymore. And so then you go, okay, what's what's next? What's new? What's exciting for me? And so then at that point, it, it, it was exciting to grow, but I had never grown before. And so I was okay to give myself the flexibility to grow slowly. And so I added one or two team members and I was not trying to go to, to 30 employees. And then mm-hmm. you learn things through those steps that improve your ability to conquer whatever the next phase is. So then I had a couple yeah. employees for a while. And then after I understood that 
dance a little bit better, then I said, well, let's get more employees now. Let's, let's get it more intentional about scaling this and turning this into a big boy business. And so then I went through that process. And so that was the previous phase I was in about two years ago. Now I would say the mo- more recent phase is, okay, I've, I've enjoyed the flexibility of time. I have the benefit of financial stability. And so now for me, the next sexy thing is like, how big can we take this? Because I have the processes now. I have the confidence now. I have all those things that I wouldn't have learned if I tried to leapfrog other phases previously. So yeah, now I, now I kind of want to see like, how big can I take this? Like, this is my, this is my baby, you know, how, what can I, what type of things can I accomplish that with this and see how far I can take it? Oh, that's really exciting, Damon. Now the US market is huge compared to the UK market, for example, but I know that certainly our key to growth was actually going global. Hmm. And I'm just wondering whether you have international clients or whether you're looking to expand globally with your business as well. Yeah, we've we worked with a lot of international clients. So you mm-hmm. said High Street, we, we worked with eMove two, three years ago. So okay. we were with them before they imploded. <laughs> so right. so yeah, yeah. When, when we were with them the year before they went up to $100 million in valuation, and then we got out shortly after. And then depending on your audience, you, you know what happened after that. So that was an interesting observation to be part of that, part of that big growth of that company and then, and then get out and then see the aftermath of what, what followed after. And so, yeah, we have a lot of international clients. Like another one is Amar. They're a huge real estate company that's in Dubai. Huh? So we don't pursue those markets, but it's all based on those referrals. When you establish credibility, you start to get in with certain types of groups of successful people where you become part of their inner circle and and then you get access or you get referred to through a trustworthy transaction where they say this person is an expert at what they do you know here's the engagement and so we find ourselves the bigger the client the more likely it came from a referral Uh aha that's interesting that's really 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 cool and as you said, you know, your marketplace is global with SEO, then, you know, you can go anywhere in the world, can't you? So geographical restrictions are not there, really, are they? So not that's too extensive. In a way. Yeah, usually the limitations we run into start to come in with translations and the nuances of different, different cultures. As long as we yeah. can figure out how to properly communicate in yeah. kind of the, the native tone of voice, then, then that's usually the biggest hurdle when you get into international yeah. markets. Yeah. So what's been the biggest challenge of your career to date uh, then or your life or career, Damon, hmm. would you say? I don't know. People always like, like, they always like to hear about this, you know. So this guy, he's really, really successful and he's so good at what he does and his business is growing and he's you know, but he must have hit some speed bumps or some challenges along the way that it was a little bit hard to get over. Or has it just been, you know, more or less plain sailing? It hasn't been like easy sailing, but I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything dramatic that's happened though, but I can probably tell you why. It, it's, either, uh-huh. it's either because I've always been proactive with our processes. And so we've kind of proactively dodged some of those issues, but I think yeah. equally, or if not more so, it hasn't been dramatic because I gave myself the freedom to learn. Yes. So we talked about not getting ahead of yourself and things like that. 
So I've always been okay with delayed gratification. And that's probably where yeah. a lot of these people get into trouble and they have those issues is because they bite off more than they can chew. So there's definitely growing pains now, but that's not a bad thing. You know, that's not a scary thing. That's something that it's not scary unless you make it scary. It's not scary unless you've hit it head on. And so I'm yeah. figure we talked about the dance earlier and how I manage the relationships with the growing team. So those are things I'm not ignoring. So I don't imagine they're going to be too painful for too long. Yeah, cool. Well, Damon, all I can say is that this has been an absolutely fascinating interview. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Now, before we go, I'd love you to tell our viewers or our listeners about your book and also how to contact you. So you've got your book, haven't you, right there? Yeah. So I wrote a book just last year called Outrank. And so before I tell you how you can get it, I think one thing that's important is I'm going to tell you how to get it for free. And the reason why I want to give you this story first is, is to underscore a lot of what we talked about is about building mm-hmm. relationships. So anytime I get on social media, I give away advice for free. I don't send people to a landing page. I don't have an email list. I don't have a funnel. Because for me, what's been really effective in scaling the agency is just that transparency and again, fostering those relationships. So I don't live in the private messages on LinkedIn and Facebook. I will engage on there, but I don't ever pitch. And so what happens is people begin to trust your expertise and then the sales walls come down and you're top of mind. And so when they're ready for your thing, then they just come to you and say, hey, I'm ready for your thing. So I tell you that because I give away the book for free too. It took me two years to write it and I give it away for free. So you can go to freeseobook.com if you want a PDF copy. If you want a physical copy, you can send me a message. I'll mail you one out of my pocket. If you just want to buy it right now, you can buy it on Amazon and just... Two, three weeks ago, I got the translation or I had a, a professional voice talent work on it over the last couple of months and, and we just got it up on Audible too. So now there's an audio version as well. Amazing. Wow. That's great. And that's really interesting that you approach things in that way because it's very noisy at the moment, social media, isn't it? With people selling stuff all mm-hmm. the time. And it's very normal, isn't it, on LinkedIn to make a connection and then immediately, you know, it's followed up with, you know, some kind of a sales pitch or some sales funnel or yeah. you've got to be really careful, haven't you? Because it can just turn people off and make them want to run in the opposite direction. It's human psychology, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I call it social proof. So this approach of social proof has, uh, it's going to outpace our referrals this year. Mm-hmm. And historically, referrals have been our biggest source of leads. So we've grown into a seven-figure agency without spending a dollar on ads ever. And, and referrals mm-hmm. have largely been a part of that. But now the social proof concept of just being trustworthy and sharing your expertise is, it was probably about even last year with referrals. And we're already, we're probably going to double sales. 2020 was a record, not by a long shot. It was just the slow continued growth year over year. But 2021 is a substantial increase over 2020. And what is fueling that is is just giving away free answers on social media. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Damon, again. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, say hi on LinkedIn or Facebook. That's where I'm most active. And like I said, that's me. I'll give you a reply. So if I can help you out, I'm happy to do so. Cool. Well, thank you again, Damon, and look forward to seeing you soon and wish you all the very best of success and hope it all goes well. Thanks for your opportunity to chat. I'm sure it will. Yeah. Thanks, Jane. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. 
I work one-to-one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients. And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com masterclass and I'll show you how.